Mike, thank you very much indeed. Well, do please turn back in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 5, the uh, reading that uh, John Clough read for us just a little bit earlier. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. If you have a church Bible, then you'll find it on page 1033, 1033. Luke chapter 5, it will certainly help me to know that you've got that open in front of you. I was at a party some years ago and a man I'd never met before asked me, and what do you do for a living? Fairly normal question. And I replied, I'm a vicar. And the very next thing he said was, I've never done anybody any harm and I always try my best. (laughs) It it was a remarkable response and, and it's happened on other occasions too. I tell people my profession and they give me their assessment of their moral standing in society. I can only think that it happens because people think that Christianity is all about being a good person. And so quite often when I speak to people, they say to me, I don't think you need to go to church to be a good person. They'll throw that into the conversation, even when I haven't mentioned church. On the other hand, I met someone recently who said quite the opposite and who felt quite the opposite. He said to me, I know that if I started going to church, I wouldn't be able to keep it up. And he wasn't just talking about getting up early on a Sunday morning or weekly attendance. He was talking about being good. Some, it seems, think they're too good for Christianity. I don't need to go to church to be a good person. Others think they're not good enough. I couldn't possibly keep it up. But whatever they think about themselves, it reveals the thing that many people believe. And here's the first point this morning. They believe the myth that Christianity is for good people. Now that's an urban myth that is blown out of the water by verse 27 in our passage. Look at Luke 5 verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting by his booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now Levi was a tax collector and yet Jesus wanted him. Oh, chances are many of us have heard the story before, so we barely bat an eyelid. But please, don't let familiarity dull the shock of this verse. This is really outrageous. Jesus tells Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. Uh, Levi was no smiling bureaucrat who, who dropped his voice slightly when you met him at a party and told you that he, he worked for the Inland Revenue. We may joke today that we don't like tax inspectors, but we feel nothing of the revulsion of those who first read this story. Look at the response of the religious establishment in verse 30. The Pharisees and the the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? To the religious leaders, Jesus' behaviour is disgraceful. Levi was a social pariah, as were all tax collectors. They were universally despised as traitors. They were, after all, working for the enemy, for the occupying force, the the hated Romans. You see, when Caesar Augustus had brought Judea under direct Roman rule, he'd imposed what we might call a poll tax on his Jewish subjects. This tax, the tax, was hated by the Jews. And not only because they had to part with their hard-earned cash, but it was hated for good theological reasons too. Consider how the Jews feel about Palestine. It is, they believe, the promised land. The land promised to them and given to them by the Lord God Almighty. That's what so much of the unrest in the Middle East is about today. The Jews believe it is literally their God-given right to own that strip of land. 
So quite simply, no one has the right to invade their land uh, and no one should take it from them. But in the first century, that is exactly what the Romans had done. And then, the cheek of it, they had the nerve to impose a tax on the Jews to live in the very land that the Lord God had given to them. You see, this tax was not just an insult, it was blasphemy. And so to have a Jewish tax collector, well, they were the scum of the earth. They were complete traitors working for the enemy and against God. So they were uh, not just socially ostracised, they were complete religious no-hopers too. Now, can you feel the outrage of verse 27? Jesus wants this man, Levi, a tax collector. He wants him. A man who would demand that you pay. A man who would squeeze money out of you and who would lose no sleep over it. A man who would not only take the money the Roman authorities demanded, but take his cut too. A man who would hassle you and fleece you. A man who would send the boys round if you didn't cough up. And because he was working for the Romans, there was nowhere you could go to deal with this gross miscarriage of justice. No higher court of appeal. No European court of human rights. Levi was working for the government. He was an official crook. Doesn't it make your blood boil when you hear of people like that? A few months ago I heard about someone speaking about the Sheffield bond. Mike was there as well as we were hearing all about it. I wonder if you've heard about the Sheffield bond. It's an excellent way of raising money to support the underprivileged of this city. To, to help people escape the poverty trap induced by, often, by loan sharks. Until I came across this scheme, I had no idea the way these financial crooks operate. It's the problem of doorstep borrow, borrowing. Have you heard about doorstep borrowing? Lenders target people who can't get mainstream credit because of their personal situation. And the interest rates can be as much as, wait for it, 2,000% interest rates. These people operate in the huge council estates and tower plots in the city, uh, places like the Manor and Hyde Park Flats. They are ready to pounce when people are financially hard-pressed. When they hear of someone whose, whose washing machine has just broken down, they'll be knocking on their door, offering them a loan to buy a new washing machine and a little bit extra so they can give the kids a treat too. They seem to offer the solution to people's problems. They are, in fact, enslaving people to a life of financial bondage that they can never escape from. But these loan sharks are doing nothing illegal. Even though you and I may think it's criminal, interest rates of 2,000%, they are doing nothing illegal. But they prey on people when they are vulnerable and take advantage of their bad fortune. That's Levi. Have you seen that programme on television, House of Horrors? It's a programme that exposes cowboy builders as they try to cheat unsuspecting people. They create building jobs that don't need to be done and they charge for work they haven't carried out. These are the sort of people who fleece old people in their retirement. If they were animals, they'd be hyenas who they pick off the old, weak and infirm. The misery these people cause because of their greed, that's Levi. The sort of person in your office who will walk all over others to further their career. People who won't think twice about stabbing you in their back to feather their own nest. People who seem to have no conscience. That's Levi. 
Not a lovable rogue, but a calculating criminal, and yet Jesus wanted him. Do you feel the outrage of verse 27? Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. We really only begin to grasp how shocking this is when we say, did Jesus really say that to him? And we've really only begun to engage with the real Jesus when we acknowledge that he wants people just like Levi. The real Jesus seeks out the scum of the earth and has a significant place for them in his church. Is that the Jesus you know? And not just as a concept, but in reality? Look, if it's happened to you, think of the person who's robbed you of your life savings. If it's happened to your friends or family or a neighbour, think of the pain brought upon them by someone fleecing them. And then with all those feelings of injustice welling up inside, tell yourself that Jesus wants that crook, wants to forgive him, befriend him and embrace him. How do you feel about Jesus now? Christian, does your Christianity allow that sort of person to be part of your life? And let me ask you, would you be shocked if that kind of person was in the pew next to you now? And at the prayer meeting? Would you be happy if the vicar welcomed him at the communion rail? Well, never mind the vicar. Jesus does just that with Levi. And Jesus doesn't just accept that person. He goes looking for them. And then parties with them. Is that our kind of Christianity? Do we go looking for that kind of person? Or do we find ourselves deciding who will and who won't want Jesus? As I prepared this week, I've caught myself looking at someone and saying to myself, oh, they're not the type. They'd not be interested in Jesus. Have you done that? With someone at work or a neighbour or a friend? Have you already made up in your mind that you wouldn't invite that person to hear about Jesus? Well, listen, Levi certainly wouldn't have been the religious sort. And so as we look at Levi, let me speak to those of you who are not, not Jesus' type. Now, you're here this morning, but you think you're too bad for Jesus. You can hardly believe that you're here at church, really. I don't know why you've come. You were just passing. You felt compelled to, to walk in. Maybe someone's been nagging you for years to come along. Maybe you're thinking of getting married here or having the baby baptised here. Well, whatever the reason, you're here. And you're actually quite surprised that you are here. It's not really your scene. Certainly not the sort of thing you choose to do on a Sunday morning normally. Now if that's you, look at Levi. Jesus wanted him. A religious no-hoper. And Jesus wanted him. See, the popular myth is that Christianity is only for good people, for nice people. But it is a myth and Jesus calling Levi proves that. So, from the myth, Christianity is for good people, to the truth, Christianity is for bad people. Well, again, the religious leaders were were disgusted by Jesus and outraged to see his disciples eating with the likes of Levi. Look at verse 30 again. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I was in the doctor's waiting room just recently. 
As I waited, I read those, well, what I can only describe as rather intimidating posters. You know the ones that say, is your visit really necessary? Avoid calling your doctor out unless it's absolutely vital. Have you read those posters? Before seeing the GP, visit the chemist or the NHS helpline. Forget home visits. Don't bother your GP unless you are about to die. Well, I exaggerate a little bit. But you know the sort of posters. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against those posters at all. The doctor doesn't want to see healthy people. Doctors are busy people. They have government targets to hit. They don't need healthy people in the, in the surgery wasting their time. Doctors are here for the sick. Now, I've got to say that because half the congregation are doctors, aren't they? But... <laughs> and anyway, I, I can't really understand why anyone would want to go to the doctors unless they were ill. Never mind the scary posters. Why sit in a stuffy little waiting room full of sick people and catch what they've got unless it's absolutely necessary? Well, anyway, look, doctors are for sick people. And Jesus says here he's no different. See verse 31? It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. Dr. Jesus has come for spiritually sick people. That's what he's saying to the religious hypocrites in verse 30. They were the ones who'd made this comment. That was why he said what he said. And here's the truth that dispels the myth. Here's the truth. Christianity is for bad people. Spiritually sick people. And here's the surprise. The qualification for coming to Jesus is not are you good enough, but are you bad enough? That turns our thinking upside down, doesn't it? And here's the shock. Jesus can't help you if you think you're well. You see, Jesus says there's no point coming to my surgery if you think you're righteous. Verse 32. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you think you're righteous, that is, if you think you're all right in your standing before God. To put it bluntly, if you say, I'm a good person, Jesus cannot help you. He can't help you. Of course, no one is righteous. We're all sinners, it's just that some won't face up to that fact. Uh, At a previous church that I was at some time ago, uh, I went to visit a man in the congregation. He'd not been to church for a couple of weeks. And uh, I was surprised when I got there how how poorly he was. It had only been a couple of weeks since I'd seen him. He deteriorated rapidly. As I left, I I couldn't stay for long because he was so poorly. We we read the Bible together and prayed together and then I I shot off. And and as I left, his wife escorted me to the front door and uh, he was in another room. She lowered her voice and she said this to me, "Don't don't tell him, but he's got cancer. And as I chatted to her a little bit longer on the doorstep, I came to realise no one was telling him the truth. The doctor didn't tell him, his wife didn't tell him, and they wouldn't allow me to tell him either. I wondered deep down if he knew he was very poorly, but because no one was saying it, he never faced up to the facts. And, And that was hopeless. He needed to know. He needed to know that he was dying so that he could put his house in order, sort out his affairs, say his goodbyes, make his peace with God. You see, Dr. Jesus won't treat us like that. He gives us a true diagnosis and he tells us what state we're in. But unless we'll face up to it, he won't be able to help us. See, verse 32, he's come for sinners. And if I don't think that I'm a sinner, then I'll never come to him because I don't think that I need him. Well, the myth, Christianity is for good people. The truth, Christianity is for bad people. Third, the danger. Christians begin to think that they're good people. 
It is very important to realise that Jesus said, verses 31 and 32, because of the attitude of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, in verse 30. There it is again. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I love going to the pantomime at Christmas. Do you like pantomime? Actually, I so love pantomime. I used to be in pantomime when I was younger. In fact, some people, now that I do this job, think that I'm still in pantomime at Christmas, but that's another thing altogether. I love going to the pantomime and entering into all the fun of the panto. You know, the baddie walks on and we all go, boo. Well, I do anyway. The goody enters and and we shout, hooray. It's great fun at the theatre, but the problem is we can so easily read the Bible like that. I know none of you do this, but just stay with me for a moment. You see, in our mind, Jesus walks on as we're reading the Bible and we know he's the hero, so we say, hooray, nothing wrong with that. But if we've been Christians for a while, we know the Pharisees, the baddies. We know that they're not the sort of people we should be and so when they walk on in our minds, we shout, boo, and that's the problem because we've already distanced ourselves from them. And the problem is because the Pharisees are the people we are most likely to be like. I've been shocked to my boots this week to realise that I'm just as much a Pharisee as the Pharisees ever were. Look at the little word in verse 30. Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect. I've never seen that word before until this Wednesday. The word sect. The Pharisees loved their little group, their religious clique, Among the Pharisees, there was a very unhelpful party spirit. If you're one of us, we'll love you. If you'll become like us, we'll embrace you. But woe betide you anyone who is not like us. Since I thought about this story this week, I felt ashamed of myself. I looked back to the past seven years in London and I thought about the many people who slept rough on the steps of the church there and how I avoided them. Oh, you wouldn't have noticed it. I talked to them, I was polite enough, but I wouldn't have gone much further than that. In prayer meetings, I prayed for them. I prayed for them to be saved. But in truth, I wasn't really bothered if they were or not. I mean, not so that I'd go out of my way for people like them. And the truth be known, I really didn't want people like them sitting next to me in church. They were smelly. I didn't mind if they were saved as long as they didn't sit next to me or clean themselves up or began to behave like me. I am a Pharisee. See how different Jesus is in verse 29. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. It's the first evangelistic supper party in the Bible that I've come across. Levi got home, told his wife that he'd resigned his job. That must have been a shock to her. And then he told her that he invited all his friends over for dinner to meet Jesus. And because of the culture they were living in, I no doubt she had to do all the work. She ran around and laid on the most sumptuous meal. Now, this was no fish and chip supper. Do you see verse 29? He held a banquet. A great banquet. And on the great guest list were the finest the Galilean underworld had to offer other tax collectors and other religious and moral no-hopers, loan sharks, used car salesmen, rogue traders, and I dare say a prostitute or two, because there were always prostitutes hanging around with Jesus, weren't there? Tax collectors and sinners, verse 30. 
That's the way the religious people describe them. And Jesus spent time with them. Of course he did. (laughs) These were exactly the people Dr. Jesus came for. And Jesus didn't just pass the time of day with them. He ate and drank with them. That's very shocking. A sign of friendship with them. And that's what infuriated the Pharisees so much in verse 30. Jesus shared life with these people. Look, when Jesus called Levi to follow him, he committed to spending the rest of his life with him. Not just church once a week, or a home group once a week. It's a striking contrast, isn't it? Jesus and the Pharisees. And my problem is, I'm much more like the Pharisees. Are you like me? We think it's great when we hear stories of the alcoholic or the drug pusher or the thief converted to Christ, wonderfully converted. But what about all the mess of helping the alcoholic? The times when someone like that falls off the wagon. Do I want to help them then? I love the story of the conversion, but I don't love the idea of being there when they need help, not real help. When they need a bed for the night. When more than that, they need help just to keep living. See, that's my danger. After I've been a Christian some time, I begin to think that I'm a good person. In a way, I can understand it because Jesus does make a difference and our lives should change and we should become morally better. But that's the danger. Oh, I know I'm a sinner, but I don't think that I'm as big a sinner as, well, as the people Jesus spent time with here. You know, if the truth be known, I think I come from a better stock of humanity. I'm just a bit too proud for myself. It's a terrible way to think and it's a complete denial of Jesus' assessment of me. Do you see, I am in danger of becoming a big, as big a Pharisee as any of the Pharisees in the Bible. We can so easily be evangelical Pharisees and we become that when we have a gap between our confessional faith and our functional faith. Confessional faith, we believe the right things and, and that's a good thing to do. Functional faith, we don't actually live it. So on this one, our confessional faith is orthodox. Certainly here at Forward, we're orthodox on this. We know everyone needs saving. We know Jesus is for bad people. We know we're sinners. We know people like Levi are welcomed by Jesus. But functionally, we live something quite different. We don't want to go out of our way for really bad people. We think we're really quite respectable. And we feel very uneasy about welcoming these sorts of people into our church, let alone opening our home to them. Is that your danger? It's my danger. That's why I'm so grateful for people like Bobby Walker starting the soup run and the team that go out and and, and seek out these sorts of people. We do need to be doing that sort of thing from here, don't we? Maybe one or two of us need to join the team. We must be reaching out to a people who are not like us. We mustn't be unrealistic. The majority of people around here are like us. So the church will probably be full with people like us. Let's not be silly about it. But the chances are we still have these wrong thoughts about people who are not like us. And probably don't go out of our way for people who are not like us. 
See, the danger is that we belong to our evangelical sect, to use that word. A group that says all the right things and believes the right things, and there's nothing wrong with that, but doesn't seem to embrace anyone who isn't like us. Unless, of course, they promise to become like us. The myth, Christianity is for good people. The truth, Christianity is for bad people. The danger, Christians begin to think that they're good people. The challenge, to spend time with bad people. As Levi did. And as Jesus did. Let's pray together. Well, rather than me fill our time of prayer now with my words, and I'm still trying to work out what all this means for me, let me leave a moment of silence for you to make your own response.